This week on Daiwa, we're in Benton County. A woman is shot while rehearsing an upcoming speech. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValley and Allie Tulin. Okay, Benton County this week, Allie. Have you been? Do you know where that is? Tell me everything you know about Benton County. Oh, gosh. So I think I've been to it, maybe like a drive through story again, because, you know, it's close to Iowa City, like Cedar Rapids area, I feel like. It's on the eastern side of Iowa. The largest town in the county is Vinton, Iowa, and I think we both found two kind of famous Marys who lived in Vinton at some point in their lives. But do you want to go first? Okay, sure. So my Mary is Mary E. Holland. Some say Mary is single-handedly responsible for the acceptance of the Henry system for classifying fingerprints in the United States. Crazy. And she was once called, quote, the most noted woman criminologist in the world, unquote. Very impressive. Mary grew up in Vinton, and her parents and one brother are actually buried there. Mary eventually left Vinton for Chicago. Starting in the early 1880s, she and her husband Philip Holland published a magazine called The Detective, which was for law enforcement professionals. The magazine ran photos of wanted criminals and cataloged criminological supplies. It's a big word. (laughs) Thanks. So... How did Mary get into classifying fingerprints or the Henry system, as you said? So this is kind of crazy. Again, Mary is a boss. She attended yes. the uh, 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, where she met Sergeant John K. Farrier. Sergeant Farrier had an exhibit and taught classes regarding the Henry system. This was a method where fingerprints are sorted by physiological characteristics for one-to-many searching. It was developed in the late 19th century for criminal investigations in British India, but it was the basis of modern-day automated fingerprint identification system classification methods up until the 1990s. Oh my god, don't ever ask me to say that again. <laughs> you like killed it on the first <laughs> shot. I was impressed. Mary attended over seven months of classes given by Farrier. She also went to London for more training, and there she passed proficiency tests administered by Scotland Yard. After her training, she became an advocate for forensic fingerprint identification and began training local police departments around the United States to use it. In 1906, Mary even trained personnel from the Navy in fingerprinting. Again, a boss. And finally, she was also used as an expert in fingerprinting evidence in a few court cases. Unfortunately, Mary died in 1915 at just 47 years old. Okay, I also love this Mary. The World's Fair story is crazy, but I'm also impressed that she was doing all of this and accepted even before the 19th Amendment was passed. True. And here's a quote I found from Mary. Sounds like she was a suffragist. In 1908, she was quoted in the Detroit Free Press saying, There is no work a man does that a woman cannot do just as well. My belief in my sex, its brain, and ability is strong and deep-rooted. So again, she's amazing. (laughs) But what about your Mary? Okay, well, my Mary is also amazing, but just like maybe a little less. (laughs) Uh, I'll keep her brief, but I want to know, did you read any of the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, like Little House on the Prairie? Okay, like 
this is hard for me to admit, I'm pretty sure I stared at that book in my room for like 12 to 17 years straight, and I don't think I've ever read it. (laughs) I know, I know. But we did read a lot of books like that, and also we would play Little House on the Prairie and like pretend to be... I don't know, churn our own butter. But you butter. never read them? <laughs> I don't. It's possible I read, like, a random book in the series at one point, but I... Yeah. Definitely not the first one and definitely not all the way through. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I feel like it's, like, a checklist for Iowa girls. Like, you have to read at least one. I know, Ellie. Or own a bonnet. <laughs> yeah. Like you did? I did. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, anyway... So I did read them all, and I have actually have visited most of Laura Ingalls Wilder houses with my grandparents when I was younger. Incredible. Um, but Laura's, oh yeah, Laura's older sister, Mary, actually went blind at 14, and so her family sent her to the Iowa Braille and Sight Saving School, which was in Vinton, Iowa. And Mary attended from 1881 to 1889, and the school is still there, but no longer used by the Iowa Braille and Sight Saving School. Again, very cool. We shouldn't say that my Mary is better than your Mary. They're both cool. They're both cool. Yeah. Mary, my Mary ended up in like South Dakota though. Okay. So she's uncool for moving away, but so did my Mary. True. True. (laughs) Okay. Let's get to the murder. And just again, this one is a cold case. So here's your warning. All right. So it's 1925 and we're in Vinton, Iowa. Calvin Coolidge is president. Nellie Taylor Ross becomes the first woman to serve as governor in the United States. She's actually the 14th governor of Wyoming from 1925 to 1927. Um, She was elected after her husband had died. F. Scott Fitzgerald publishes The Great Gatsby. And Dick Van Dyke, who's actually still alive today, is born. And I kind of feel like I'm jinxing it by saying that. I really hope not. I love Dick Van Dyke. (laughs) I'm fingers crossed. We're fine. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, prohibition is in full swing. So the 18th Amendment made it illegal to manufacture, sell, and transport alcoholic beverages. Really can't believe that was prioritized over women voting, but whatever. It's fine. Prohibition was brought on by the temperance movement. All right. So our murder takes place in Vinton, Iowa, like we said, specifically 703 3rd Avenue in Vinton. Which, if you're wondering, the four-bedroom house is still there today, and according to Zillow, you can rent it for half of Beth and I's current apartment rents at, like, $850. Wow, that's... Oof. Four bedrooms, Beth. Oof. Can we move back? Mm, thinking about it. So, it's the night of September 7th of 1925, and a 51-year-old woman named Myrtle Cook is inside her home rehearsing an upcoming speech. I would say Myrtle... Um, is like a younger looking grandma from the Beverly Hillbillies, but with black hair and also Harry Potter glasses after seeing her photo. Okay. Good description. Yeah. But as Myrtle's rehearsing, a bullet comes through the window and hits her. Myrtle's mother-in-law was also in the house that night upstairs and she was listening to her recite the speech. When the mother-in-law heard what she thought was thunder But then silence, she headed downstairs, and she saw Myrtle on the floor, gasping and bleeding from her chest. According to reports, the bullet went straight into Myrtle's heart and killed her within an hour. Oh, man. Yeah. So, all murders are shocking, but after we researched this one, it 
really didn't come as a surprise that someone wanted Myrtle dead. I know this sounds harsh, but just wait. First, Myrtle was a member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, or the WCTU for short. The WCTU was founded in November 1874 in Cleveland, Ohio. It was formed in response to the, quote, Women's Crusade, which was a series of temperance demonstrations that swept through New York and much of the Midwest in 1873 and 74. Basically, the group focused on social reform and policies like supporting the prohibition, which, in my opinion, is not great, and supporting women's suffrage which in my opinion is pretty good pretty good so myrtle (laughs) was president of the benton county wctu and as president she not only gave speeches but published names of people she thought were guilty of bootlegging the claims she made led to legal problems and sometimes jail for those she accused also bad for the bootlegging business (laughs) (laughs) so true Myrtle wasn't oblivious to being hated for her involvement in the WCTU. Her house had been egged on July 6th, and she believed bootleggers had hired local kids to do it to intimidate her. But even worse than her involvement with the WCTU, Myrtle was also head of the women's organization of the KKK or Ku Klux Klan in the area. Oof. But before we move on... Big woof. <laughs> big woof. Before we move on... Do you think we should read the speech they found Myrtle working on? Yes, definitely. So here is a quote from her speech that she was working on. To say America cannot enforce prohibition is to do violence to America's tradition and to underestimate the American spirit. American willpower has turned apparent impossibilities into wondrous achievements. We need women who are unafraid, just as our mothers, women who believe in God and the home and country. Women who stand for purity and truth. A strong, united sisterhood will reinstate the old-fashioned religion in our schools and over the land. Friends, are we afraid to take up the burden? But it is hard for someone to keep on the firing line all the time. Others must put their shoulders to the wheel. Let us pray that every Christian woman will enlist. And she goes on. Again, woof. (laughs) Yeah, not not great for Myrtle here. No. (sighs) But we'll continue. So Myrtle was buried on the Monday after her death. Her funeral was moved from a Christian church to a Methodist one to accommodate more people because the WCTU world and national president was in attendance along with members of the Klan. Her six pallbearers were actually donned in Klan white robe attire and during her funeral the minister bragged that Myrtle had held the highest county office in the women's organization of the Klan. And according to the minister, who was also a Klan member, these were, quote, the two greatest movements for law enforcement. Yikes. Also, the member of the Iowa WCTU was quoted in the Des Moines Register and basically freaked out at the lack of empathy around Myrtle's death. I'm not justifying her murder personally, but do you know, Beth, why I know these WCTU women are terrible people? (laughs) Go ahead. Well, not only do they hate alcohol, but they hated movies. Oh, no. The article... I know. The article also had a quote from her discussing how movies should be censored at the time. Wow. It's like our two favorite things. I know. (laughs) Alcohol and movies. (laughs) So after the murder, papers, which remember were pretty flippant at the time, were reporting that state agents were working on two angles. 
One, that Myrtle's husband, Mr. Cook, knew more about the shooting than he was letting on. He told agents that he was in Grundy Center, Iowa, the night Myrtle was shot. That's about 50 miles from Vinton. The second working theory was that the murderer was either a liquor or drug addict who committed the murder while not in his or her right mind. And about a week after the murder, Myrtle's mother-in-law actually came forward and said that Myrtle had said a name of a local Vinton boy before she died. Myrtle's husband, C.B. Cook, or Clifford Cook, instantly said this boy had a motive to kill his wife. This was after Mr. Cook was called before the coroner's inquest for testimony, but dismissed with the jury after having a long conference with the coroner. But we do know in October of 1925, Mr. Cook is charged with perjury in connection with his testimony around the case. He was alleged to have told two groups different stories about his private life in Sioux City about the time his wife was killed. The charge was dismissed in April of 1926 for lack of evidence. Myrtle's husband died in Salt Lake City, Utah in 1951 at the age of 68. He had remarried and is buried with his second wife. Myrtle and Clifford had an infant son, born March 7, 1911, who died six days later. They later adopted a daughter, Gertrude, who passed away in 2000. According to iowacoldcases.com, a Vinton judge named John Tobin had a theory around a more likely suspect. Tobin thought a young man named Harold Ponder might be the one to blame. He said that Ponder's acquaintances described him as a, quote, lame brain, dingbat, and blabbermouth. Ponder had been in trouble with the law on many occasions and escaped from a state penitentiary the week before the murder after being arrested for stealing a car. Ponder disappeared after authorities began considering him as a possible suspect and was never heard from again, according to Tobin. But Judge Tobin also said no one knew if Myrtle was killed for her association with the Klan or because of her stance on prohibition. Judge Tobin also said the town suffered from a bad reputation after Myrtle's death, but her murder had some positive effects on the community as a whole. The images of the white robes and burning cross turned off Vinton residents to the KKK. Soon, the Klan leaders were informed that their secret meetings were not acceptable. The Klan took heed, wrote Tobin. It went underground. For a while, it lingered on and then died out completely in Vinton. Also, Judge Tobin wrote, people on both sides of the prohibition issue became more forceful in opposing lawbreakers. Quote, drinkers and non-drinkers alike came to a recognition that the bootleggers and rum runners were a bad and dangerous gang and that the town was better without them. Vinton, he said, became more law-abiding. Again, we got this information from iowacoldcases.com. It's a great resource if you're interested in any Iowa cold cases. Well, we've got many questions for TAPS, so let's give him a call. Sounds good. Hey, Taps, thanks for joining. Good evening. This time we're talking about Benton County and Myrtle Cook and her murder, which is now a cold case. In our intro, we actually were talking about a Mary from Benton, Iowa, um, and her involvement with the Henry system for fingerprints. She was one of the biggest advocates. Do you know of the Henry system? It is still the system that is used today. Fun fact, as I once heard on a famous podcast, Charles Darwin was involved in the creation of the Henry system. He helped the founder of the Henry system get it to other people in England. 
but it is still used in the APHIS system, the automated federal fingerprinting system that's used today in the way it measures the whirls and ridges on fingers. Is so there also a more modern system though too? Yes. Okay, I was gonna say. But have you used the Henry system? I use portions of it to analyze fingerprint. I mean, the, the foundation of the Henry system was the fact that ridges and whirls on the fingertips and how to do points of comparison and things of that nature. Could you say you're trained on it? I am trained in it, but I am not by no means an expert. Okay, cool. That, is this like the dumbest question I think I've ever asked, but does <laughs> that have anything to do with the same fingerprint you would use on your cell phone today? Yeah, same exact thing. That, that cell phone is doing points of comparison on the finger that you just placed on the screen. And APHIS, the automated federal or fingerprint identification system that is used today, uses basically the same technology with a screen. We don't ink prints anymore. We do it all electronically on a scanner. And now we even have portable APHIS machines that officers can carry in their cars where people can put their finger on it and they make an identification. Um, a local agency just identified a person in a fatality accident a couple of weeks ago by bringing out the portable machine and taking the guy's fingerprint while he was still in the car. So Beth, that wasn't a dumb question. And That's not a dumb question. Now I'm going to ask a dumb one. <laughs> Which would be expected. <laughs> Rude. So when you, like where you were talking about genealogy websites and the issues with like, you're not really consenting for police to have those fingerprints, but it's being used now. Could police someday go to cell phone companies and be like, we want the fingerprint images that your customers use? So what you're comparing is the DNA samples that genealogy sites. Yeah, yeah. And in those cases, the, the law enforcement agencies aren't asking for the DNA sample. They are looking at the results of the search. I know, but we kind of discussed how that could be like a little weird. Yeah, no, absolutely. So now go back to uh, the two people that shot up the San Bernardino government office, the county office that was about four or five years ago, where Apple had the person that shot the place up had an Apple iPhone. The FBI wanted to get inside to look at encrypted messages that he was sending. The FBI got a warrant and Apple did not obey the warrant. And that case was probably going to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. And if I remember the story correctly, I believe the FBI found a kid in Israel that cracked the iPhone encryption before it went to court. And so the case was dropped. So I guess what I'm saying is that case has never been litigated yet. So my assumption would be Apple owns those fingerprints proprietary and they would be very reluctant to give them out even with court order. So it's going to be interesting to see when that case bubbles up somewhere. Yeah, I think with court order, I think it's justified. I don't know. Well, some people would argue that it would be the same thing as any other type of blood evidence or anything else. It's a Fourth Amendment issue. If a judge grants a warrant, under the Fourth Amendment, that there's probable cause to, for an investigation that they should give it up. I just want to point out that that was the same case that I was thinking of when you asked that question. So I'm basically <laughs> as smart as Tabs. There you go. <laughs> I, love I would it. not hold that up as a yardstick. To your <laughs> um, any other questions on, on that one? I don't think so. Unless you want to talk about Mary Ingalls. <laughs> 
She was our other Mary. Did you ever read Little House on the Prairie, Tess? I, I did not, but I had a couple of children that were mesmerized by it. Mm. So they actually uh, watched the TV show and dressed up like Little House on the Prairie people. And What didn't you mention about Benton Con? I don't know. Where is the only nuclear reactor in Iowa? I didn't know oh. that. There you go. Palo. In Vinton? No, it's north of Vinton, I think. Okay. It's in Benton County. It's a little town named Palo. It's north of Cedar Rapids. Okay. And I think it might have went inactive. I'm not sure about that. Hmm. Cool. Um, were you aware of the WCTU, the Women's Christian Temperance Movement? I mean, just historically. They were long gone by the time I got to the planet. Have you ever experienced anything with the temperance movement? Not really. Obviously, if you look back historically at the, I believe I want to say the 18th Amendment and the banishment of alcohol from the United States, it really was the rise of organized crime in the United States. That's when organized crime really developed. Yeah, it was the 18th Amendment because it was before women's voting. <laughs> really tough stuff. Uh, we know you're not a big drinker. Do you agree with any sort of temperance movement at all? It did not work. Yeah. And the bigger question now is we've treated drugs the same way. And so there needs to probably be a, a systemic discussion on drugs and legality or whatever. Because if you think about what organized crime looks like today, gangs, cartels, things like that, think of what it's linked to. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Do you support the current drinking age? I do. And I was brought up when the drinking age was 18. It was not a good idea. If you look at the Supreme Court decisions on death penalty for juveniles, one of the things they argued in that case was that male brains do not mature until about 25 or 26 years old. Well, I guess I could argue that men shouldn't be allowed to drink till they're 25 or 26. That sounds right. <laughs> and I know of a couple shining examples of that. Did you notice anything different, like socially, anecdotally growing up with the drinking age 18 versus 21? The fact that you went drinking with your high school history teacher after class on Fridays mm. is a very bizarre thing to me. And we used to do that. I mean, yeah. it just, I don't know. It was, it was very, very bizarre. Yeah, that seems weird. We went to the bar on prom night. Did you go to prom? No, went to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when you were a detective, did you ever experience anything with the KKK or the Klan or any other terrorist organization like that? I had a couple of, um, I don't want to call them run-ins, but a couple of occasions to deal with neo-Nazis and kind of the right-wing movements. There was some protests and things of that nature, and we had to police those events. What's that like? Like policing um, a, a terrorist group that, yeah. In, in the particular cases I was involved in, it was difficult because you had more anti-protesters show up than neo-Nazis. And you had to keep the two groups separated and try not to start, you know, the civil war in between them. And so that's the difficult proposition in those cases. What about that versus like hate crimes? Do you have to respond to those? Yeah, I mean, there are... Hate crime investigations, again, it's a fairly modern phenomenon. When I first got into the business, there was no hate enhancements on penalties, on sentencing. Um, so it's been fairly recent that we do that. But yeah, there's been some issues, uh, gay community and some racial 
during the Iraq war, there was some anti-Muslim stuff going on. And recently you may have read there's some anti-Chinese specifically. I think we can skip over that one. How do you say, how do, what is the, Allie wrote down race gangs. Is that a term? Like, race how, gangs? I don't know. You mean like neo-Nazis? Kind of, they, yeah. they, they you, organiza- you just call them terrorist organizations? Yeah, they're right-wing terrorists. Okay. If you really want to read up on them, the people that do the best work on that stuff is the Southern Poverty Law Center. They do all kinds of analysis and stuff on groups and hate crimes and things of that nature. Okay. You can edit out things of that nature again. I just realized I said it again for like the third time. <laughs> um, okay. So moving on, what do you think the motive was to murder Myrtle? I don't know if I could say, um, was it random? Was it because of the things she was doing with the temperance movement? Was it just a spurned boyfriend, lover, or whatever? It was just difficult from the facts given what might have occurred to her. I don't know if there was any boyfriend, but I thought the most interesting theory was like the bootlegging and like her hurting business and, and writing people's you, names down in the newspaper that she was personally accusing. Right. And and again, that was the rise of people like Al Capone and folks like that, that were making lots and lots of money due to anti-temperance or non-temperance. Mm-hmm. Do you think the husband sounds suspicious? You always look at family and close friends first, just to make sure, just to rule them out. So there's no motive. And then the, the mother-in-law claimed she heard a boy's name. Do you think that's valid at all? It's hard to say. Um, people go through these extreme traumatic events sometimes think they heard or seen something that they may not have and they believe it you know strongly it's difficult to weed those facts out okay i have to ask because we ask this every time but uh, any chance of this one getting solved uh probably not it's probably old enough and the evidence would have been lost or not recovered anymore the best chance on cold cases now are the ones from about 30 to 40 years ago where evidence was kept and it's still around and we can still do some analysis. I feel like this is the first time you're saying probably not. Well, I I just can't imagine there's evidence or anything left from that case. Yeah. This is our our random question because... She did a speech. So it reminded um, me of speeches. Yes. Have you ever done a press conference? Yes. What's that like? Uh, Not fun. Uh, I have a face for radio. (laughs) No, I mean, it's just, I'm just not a big lover of going in front of the media, but I understand it's a necessary evil in some things. Yeah, it's just not my thing. Interesting. Uh, Final thoughts on Myrtle Cook? I guess watch who you point your finger at. Yeah, I don't know if I would call this one a tragic case. That may be terrible of me, but... Well, we don't know for sure, but yeah, there are some mitigating circumstances to her life, definitely. For sure. What are your guys, I guess we can go into, what are your final theories on who did it? Mine is the bootlegging theory. I think that's probably as strong as any of them, but I'm going to throw this one out there just because nobody would think of it. It might've been just a random shot fired. There are people that are killed in this country because somebody fires a gun, not intending to hurt anybody, and they don't know the trajectory of that bullet. Well, that was kind of like that that judge's theory, the famous judge from Vinton, who we quoted a little bit from. He just said there was a crazy man who kind of ran around town and he thought it was him. I mean, think of all the people that fired guns in the air on New Year's Eve night and have no idea where those bullets end up. 
So it, there are cases. And in fact, there's just been a recent one up around, I think it was the Cedar Falls Waterloo area where an athlete was driving down the interstate and she was shot while she was driving and they haven't solved that one. Uh, and they think it could have been somebody just fired a random round from a field, maybe a hunting accident or something like that. So it, it can happen. That makes me so mad. Beth, what's your theory? Probably close to you, Allie. I think it's probably someone she pointed a finger at. Who knows? All right. Well, that is Benton County. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.